the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're underway on a Tuesday, the 11th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Coming up on the program today, heavy in the back half, excuse me, very light in the first half, which means... In this hour in particular, it is wide open for you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You can wait before you die. Wait to hear what I have to say. But if you do know what you want to talk about, we may consider putting you on the air anyway. Uh, but the most important thing, we do have a lot of very uh, uh, important topics I want to share with you at the top. And then at 10 o'clock, top of the next hour, it's cursing out time. Peter Kirsten, I will join us as he does each and every Tuesday when his schedule, of course, allows that. At 11.10, at the top of the third hour, uh, Mark Paoletta rejoins us. Mark has been here <clears throat> before as he was one of the keynote speakers at the uh, Bringing America Back to Life conference last month. He wrote the book, uh, Clarence Thomas, in his own words. And uh, he is here to discuss and defend the ongoing character assassination and the attempt at impeachment, believe it or not by dingbats 
former bartenders, people like AOC, Alexandria Damasio Cortez, they are all coming down on Clarence Thomas saying that he should be impeached or he should be forced to resign from the Supreme Court because he has friends. And that's about as literal as I can make it. Because he has friends and spends time with his friends, he's not allowed to be on the Supreme Court anymore. You probably followed the story a little bit. You'll follow it and learn a lot more in depth about it at 1110 with Mark Paoletta, who is uh, he. Mark calls just to kind of, uh, if you don't know Mark and if you've not heard him speak before or heard him on this program, Mark, <clears throat> who wrote that book, uh, calls Clarence Thomas not only uh, the greatest justice in the history of the Supreme Court, he calls him the greatest living American, the greatest living American. And you can cut across all different, uh, you know, people, persons, occupations, influencers, elected officials, and so forth. Just the greatest living American. So Mark's got, uh, he's got the, the details on what we need to know. So Pete Kirshenau at 1010, Mark Paoletta at 1110, and you before that or whatever you want after that, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Before we get into the top news of the day, I'm going to ask you to do what we always do to start our program, or at least some point in the first half hour of it. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's pledge our allegiance. Uh, to the uh, flag that represents this beautiful republic. If you are a patriot, you will stand and put your hand on your heart, no matter where you are. Or if you're driving, put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in giving privilege to individuals because of who they like to sleep with or what delusions they are living their lives under at the expense of the rest of us, hmm, well, then you are exempted from pledging your allegiance to this flag because you don't represent what it stands for anyway. You may instead take a knee. You'll be more comfortable there next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. As always, I try to work in uh, at least a, a little little line or two into the Pledge of Allegiance uh, about what we're going to talk about. But let's talk about privilege. How many times have you heard in this uh, country, particularly in recent years, particularly since Joe Biden became president and the left started to take control and redefine and uh, reshape the narrative that privilege is reserved in the United States of America for white people, white privilege? How many times have you heard it? You've got white privilege. If you're a guy, you have been told many, many times, you've got it easy in life. You're a man. You've got male privilege. Oftentimes, they'll call it toxically male privilege, right? Um, If you are straight in what is becoming an uh, ever-changing and strange world of different sexualities and orientations and identities if you are straight they change your word to cis actually there was no word you're just a man or a woman but if you're a straight man or woman um you're privileged you have privileges that nobody else has and this makes them angry we've heard this for a very long time now it's gotten much more amplified in the last couple of years maybe the last three four five years it's gotten much more amplified but it's time to tell the truth and i'm here to tell you the truth the privileged class in this country is very, very quickly becoming that radical rainbow organization. And it's not just the the LGB 
portion of LGBTQ, XYZ, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It's because the LGB, they've been pretty much just kind of coasting along, and it's like, we're good. You know, we got our, we got our marriage. We're allowed to have we're allowed, the LGB is lesbian, uh, uh, bisexual, and gay, or lesbian, gay, bisexual, depending on whatever you put it in. But they're largely just like you know. Hey, we got our marriage. We're allowed to have. Uh, we're allowed to have. We're allowed to adopt children. And uh, you know, they've pretty much just been like going with the flow, and everything's all right. It 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 started to amplify. It started to get really really out there and chaotic. Um, when the T part of LGBTQ XYZ started in, and now there is nothing in this country that is as privileged as being somebody who is trans. Nothing. Zero. It is dominating every segment of our lives. You cannot turn on a computer screen, phone, television, streaming network without seeing trans this, trans that. Usually in the form of some little femboy who who likes to wear girls' dresses, sometimes little girls, grown men wearing six-year-old costumes, uh, calling themselves girls, using tape to tuck themselves under, if you understand my meaning, uh, then complaining when their bulge still shows that, why are you looking at my bulge? Lots of girls have bulges. These freak shows are now taking over um, the role of chief influencer in companies all over the country, from Nike to Anheuser-Busch slash Budweiser. I mean, we're talking about at least a half dozen, probably pushing up to 10, maybe double digits in in endorsement uh, contracts that biological males have in promoting female products. Not that Bud Light is a female. Well, it is now. Uh, but, but between things like sports bras and tampons and other feminine products that are typically aimed at women, and in fact, in most cases, very specifically and only aimed at women, uh, they're hiring male spokespersons for this. You cannot get them out of your face if you are watching any kind of media, whether it be traditional, legacy, mainstream, or social. You cannot get them out of your face. You also cannot cannot get them out of your boardroom. You cannot get them out of your classroom. You cannot get them out of your break room. You cannot get them out of your company. And when I say get them out, I'm not saying fire them. What I mean is you can't get away from it because they are constantly in your face with it. And that is what privilege looks like. Privilege looks like somebody who can physically assault and punch somebody else in the face. And then after the event, have people say they express sympathy for the assaulter, not the victim. Right? That's what happened to Riley Gaines. I haven't talked about Riley Gaines since uh, that incident went down. I'm going to. And we're going to talk about the response. Privilege comes when you are a demented trans uh, person, a female, who thinks that she's a male, who gets guns and goes and shoots up a, a Christian school and sympathies expressed not for the Christian families of the victims, but for the trans shooter and the trans quote-unquote community because they're quote under attack now. We got that straight from the White House. That's privilege. When you can do or say anything you want and moreover, 
and more importantly, force other people to do and say what they don't want to say just to affirm you, that's privilege. Who has privilege in this country more than what used to be called the marginalized classes? When we talk to Chris and I later today, we're going to talk about black privilege. We're going to talk about affirmative action on steroids, black privilege that absolutely exists in this country that leads to very, very dramatic shifts in populations of colleges, for example, and certain professions where people are being hired or or admitted or chosen based on what they look like, based on the color of their skin, which, of course, is completely at odds with the Civil Rights Act. But this is exactly what they're doing. Marginalized groups have privilege now that straight people that white people, that male people could never, could only hope of, could only dream of. Let me give you another. Let me give you an example. I'm going to talk about Riley Gaines. I haven't talked about Riley Gaines much this week at all. Riley Gaines, the former NCAA champion swimmer, who has become a strong advocate for women's sports in which she excelled for so long, and against males competing in women's sports, spoke at an event at San Francisco State University. First of all, let me just say, she is courageous. Because you know San Francisco. You can imagine San Francisco State University. She was invited to speak there about this issue, and it took guts for her to go there and bring the message that girls should be in girls' sports, women and women, men and men, and so on and so forth. So she knew that she was going to go to a hostile crowd, but she knew that's where the message had to be brought. So she was there on April 6th, so five days ago now, to speak about saving women's sports. It was an audience of around 100 people. Half of them were there to support her, and half of them were there to protest her, which is which is okay, as long as they don't stop her uh, from expressing her point of view, if they don't violate her First Amendment rights to the speech here. But it wasn't just shouting her down. She was physically attacked, physically assaulted. The protesters prior to her arrival had written in Sharpie uh, all over the posters that were there promoting her event. They had scribbled on it and, and written some pretty vile things. They also wrote all over themselves for whatever reason. Over the course of her speech, they screamed, trans women are women. And let me save you the, uh, the drama here. Spoiler alert, trans women are men. Period. They are an insult to women. Trans women are cross-dressers. They are males who like girls' clothing, period, end of discussion. But they screamed it, and they screamed trans-liberation. And they screamed, and this is the most important, it's time to fight. It's time to fight. It's time to fight. So Riley Gaines wrapped up the Q&A section after her speech was ready to leave. When the protesters rushed, someone turned off the lights. Shortly after, she was cornered into the front of the room behind the podium by the protesters. She told the Epic Times three days ago on Saturday, I'm in San Francisco, one of the most liberal cities in America. There's no police in there, and no one told me what to do in this scenario. I was terrified because I was cornered. She was supposed to meet up with campus police ahead of the event, similar to when she gave speeches at other universities to discuss action plans for her safety, but this didn't happen. Where were the campus police? Nobody knows. 
But soon the lights, which had been turned off, started flickering. Protesters started shining their phone flashlights in her eyes and on her face. And then they hit her. She was hit twice on the shoulder and once in the face. And through the flickering lights, she was able to make out the assaulter, a man who identified as a woman. How how did she know? Because he was wearing women's clothes. Amid the chaos, a woman grabbed Gaines and asked Gaines to follow her. Even though she didn't know the woman's identity, she followed her because there was no nothing else that she could do other than stand there and take more of a beating. She later found out that the woman was an undercover campus officer, so they did push her along, and they broke through the crowd. They made it into the hallway where more people were blocking the building exit so she couldn't get out of the building. So she was ushered into another classroom down the hallway as the protesters swarmed outside, pounding and banging on the walls. Two campus officers stayed with her in the room. More were outside. The protesters yelled, You better not put your hands on me or I'll sue you. Wait, what? They're the ones putting their hands on her. Don't touch us. You're a pig. The protesters began yelling at the police officers. You're protecting a white girl. You are all just racist. This is the violent, vengeful, hateful mentality of the most protected, privileged class in America now, the trans class. How do we know? Because of what happened after. San Francisco State University issued a response. Now, one might expect that a reasonable response here would be an apology to the speaker, to the police officers who did show up to protect her a little late, but who were there and who did help her, and some sort of a pledge to hold the radical left-wing LGBTQ-supporting students to account for their, their, their crimes, their criminal actions. But instead, Jamila Moore, the Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management on Saturday afternoon, made a statement, all right, of apology to the students, to the, to the radicals who assaulted her. Quote, today San Francisco State finds itself at the center of a national discussion regarding freedom of speech and expression. Let me begin by saying clearly the trans community is welcome here and belongs at San Francisco State University. Further, our community fiercely believes in unity, connection, care, and compassion, and we value different ideas even when they're not our own. Really? Show it. She went on to tout the value of diversity. And noted that because San Francisco State is a very diverse campus, students were likely to be exposed to new ideas and points of view. But she didn't tell them to accept them and and to listen to them. And she did not dissuade them from attacking them. Moore made it very, very clear that in the battle between the protesters and the innocent speaker who was assaulted, Riley Gaines, she sided with the protesters. Quote, We may also find ourselves exposed to divergent views and even views we find personally abhorrent. These encounters have sometimes led to discord, anger, confrontation, and fear, and we must meet at this moment and unite with a shared value of learning. She went on to praise the tremendous bravery, not of Riley Gaines and the police officers who tried to protect Riley Gaines, the bravery of the students who assaulted her. Thank you to our students, she said who participated in Thursday evening's event and took tremendous bravery to stand in a challenging space. I'm proud of the moments. 
I'm proud of the moments when our students demonstrated the value of free speech and the right to protest peacefully. These issues do not go away. These values are very much at our core. Peacefully, this girl was assaulted, this this swimmer Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines is going to be a very, very rich woman very, very soon because she responded to the statement made by Jamila Moore, Vice President for Student Affairs at San Francisco State University, saying she can go ahead, and paraphrasing, she can go ahead and praise her students who assaulted me. Um, I, will, I will see her in court. There is going to be a massive, massive lawsuit. So we'll take our break here because it's 927, but I'm going to continue the line, and I'm going to continue with more examples of how privilege does exist in this country right now. It is not, however, white privilege. It is LGBTQ privilege where you can act like a radical thug and be praised for it rather than condemned for it. That, my friends, that is what privilege looks like. We've got more coming up. Right Radio with Bob France and the answer. Yeah, let's talk about privilege a little bit more, shall we? It's 937. What does privilege look like? I gave you a first segment about what privilege looked like in the Riley Gaines case. Privilege isn't being the white girl who went to speak about protecting women and women's sports that was assaulted. Privilege came from supporting the assaulters, not the victims. That's privilege. Who's got privilege? Who's got more privilege than the LGBTQ movement, I don't want to call them a community because there is nothing about them that is communal. There is nothing that, as we define community, I read a great article about this, by the way, that fits the LGBTQ movement. Uh, They're not a community. But at any rate, who has more privilege than the LGBTQ emphasis on the T right now? Well, here's another example. What does privilege look like? In Indiana, a music teacher pushed out of his job for refusing to call trans students, their preferred pronouns, and made-up names, took a hit from a federal judge Friday who upheld a lower court's ruling that the school district did not violate his rights. Former Brownsburg High School teacher John Klug sued the school district alleging religious discrimination after he cited his personal religious convictions for refusing to abide by the name and pronoun policy opting to address trans students by their last names instead. That's a pretty good good result, I suppose, if you're in that field. And by the way, I want to... Let me pause for a moment. I want to literally say a prayer of thanks to God for getting me out of education when he did. It was back in 1996. It was my last year in the classroom, and I had some very, very smart people who were teachers, who saw the future of education and what was coming. They were already 20 years into what would be a 30-year and retirement career. They couldn't get out. They told me, get out now while you can. This is going downhill fast. You don't want to be in this classroom in 10, 15, 20 years. And God loved them. They were right. And God, thank you for inspiring them to talk to me. Because it's when I got out of that field and began my broadcasting career. Um, 
if I was in this field right now, I don't know how I would, how I would deal with this. I would be fired like this guy was because I wouldn't compl- I wouldn't comply. I wouldn't call somebody, especially as an English teacher, an individual, a they or a them, and I wouldn't call anybody made up words that don't exist. Just wouldn't do it. Well, this teacher didn't do it either, and he cited his religious beliefs for not wanting to do it. The school district, after enacting their policy in 2017, well, six years now, initially agreed to let Klug use last names instead of pronouns to address the students. But some students said, of course, because why, how can they not? They're privileged that this created an uncomfortable classroom experience for them. And it singled out students who identified as transgender. <laughs> um, spoiler alert, you single yourself out, Johnny, when you wear a dress and call yourself Jane. The teacher isn't singling you out. You are singling you out. Klug said later he resigned in 2018 after the school reevaluated the last name policy and told him he'd be fired if he did not comply with the preferred name and pronoun rule on the books. He sued with the help of Alliance Defending Freedom, alleging workplace discrimination, and he wanted his job back, along with unspecified money damages. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago ruled Friday that his religious convictions disrupted classroom operations, upholding an Indiana federal judge's previous ruling that the refusal created an undue hardship on the district. So this teacher lost his job and can't get it back, at least now. There's going to be another repeal. This will probably end up before the Supreme Court. But this teacher lost his job, and the students who decided to be a part of the social trend that is transgenderism, identifying as something different or identifying as nothing at all, identifying as a non-binary. I'm not a male who's trapped in a female body. I'm not a female who's trapped in a male body. I'm a little bit of both. Or I'm a little bit of neither. I'm just a spirit that floats in the air. Actually, I really, truly identify the most with animals. So I'm a trans spirit, or I'm a trans animal, or a trans species person. And teachers are supposed to just do what? Bosses, supervisors are supposed to do what? Just sit here and absorb all of this ridiculous attention-seeking behavior and play along? Or are they allowed to actually regain some control of reality and say, we're going by your names, and if I refer to you with a pronoun, it's going to be a a grammatically correct pronoun, singular versus plural, and if there's a group of you, I will use a plural and call you a group of they or them, sure. But what do they do? Then when the students who have the privilege can get the teacher fired by complaining, and that's exactly what went down. What does privilege look like? Who's privileged in America in 2023? It's not white people. White privilege is a myth. White privilege is a uh, is a complete fabrication. It's a fable. It's LGBTQ privilege. What's privilege look like? Privilege looks like a biological male named Richard Levine serving as Joe Biden's assistant secretary of health as a cross-dressing male who calls himself Rachel Levine. And Rachel Levine wants teachers to be trained in the art and science of teaching gender ideology in schools. Literally saying that we need to have gender ideology classes. You know, like right there alongside of um, English and Spanish and math, and 
calculus and algebra and history, world history, American history. You know, in this state, at least they used to in junior high, have Ohio history. We need to add in gender ideology so that we can teach these kids literally from their classroom days that they don't have to be what they are. Need to provide that culturally competent care in general for all communities, but in this, by the way, is Richard Levine case for our LGBTQI plus community. I think it needs to start in our training and in school. Future healthcare providers, the next generation, is focusing on giving problem-solving skills so that healthcare providers, even if they don't know everything, because no one can know everything. I don't know who this crossdresser is. This is a different person. At least know the resources and how to find that information. I think medical schools could do a lot more with training new doctors. This is Ibram X. Kendi, the biggest grifter working in America today. To understand the diversity of the world. My doctor, his work is about affirmation. He's dedicated his life to making his patients feel seen. Start with Affirmation, of course. I'll stop here. You don't need to hear any more of this nonsense. I just want you to hear from Richard Levine, who is in a position of prominence in the Biden administration as Assistant Secretary of Health, promoted uh, and hired and appointed to that position, as well as being promoted in the Navy uh, simply for being a cross-dresser, for being a trans, uh, sexual, if you will. Uh, I don't play their word games. Um, that's what privilege looks like, saying that children should be taught by teachers in the very beginning that they don't have to be what they are, and that this would be considered, quote, affirming, affirmation. There are those words again. They use these fanciful words, and they make them sound beautiful. They make them sound positive. It's like the entirety of DIE, diversity. Well, what, what, what's more beautiful than being diverse? Inclusion. Oh, what not that a wonderful thing to make everybody feel included? Equity. Well, isn't that great? Equity is what we should all strive for so that we're all the same. Never mind the fact that diversity, inclusion, and equity is nothing but exclusion of people who believe in traditional morals and traditional language and traditional science. It is exclusive. Diversity is only in appearance, hair color, skin color, sexual orientation, not diversity of thought. And equity? Equity is what stupid people use to substitute for the word equality. And I say stupid people, not just uh, people with agendas, because only stupid people get taken in by the E, Q, U, and the Y. You know, equality and equity both start the same and end the same. E, Q, U, and then the Y at the end. So they have to mean the same thing, right? Only stupid people think that. Equality and equity are two very, very different things. What does privilege look like? Privilege looks like Dylan Mulvaney, who I was talking about in the open. This is the little femboy who uh, is making, I don't even know, untold numbers of dollars as a social media influencer who cannot live five seconds of his life without a camera being in front of him. He's got his camera phone out literally 24-7. He's living his life kind of like that movie. Do you remember that movie with Jim Carrey? Um, What was that one called? Um, 
Jim Carrey was basically, he didn't know it in his case. They had a camera on him 24-7. They created a fake reality for him. Um, and I'm struggling to remember the name of that movie right now. Josh, Marianne, if you guys know it, tell me. Because uh, everybody, it was a very popular movie. Um, at any rate, this clown is living his life by choice on camera. He cannot have a thought, cannot do a thing without making sure that his phone is on recording him and that he's uploading it to the Internet because he has become a paid influencer. Not only from the social media companies because he gets millions of followers, but he is now a paid endorser of a number of products, as I pointed out in the open. Even endorsing things that he has no business endorsing because he's about the Truman Show. Thank you, Josh. Everybody was sleeping on that one this morning. Nobody knew. The Truman Show. So this guy lives his own Truman Show, the Dylan Mulvaney Show existence, uh, on his own camera. You cannot turn on your computer screen without seeing either him or another uh, clown uh, named uh, Jeffrey Marsh, who, again, is a male, but I think he calls himself non-binary, so he wears women's clothing and does the same thing. And neither one of them can do anything without being on camera. And now they're making money as endorsers, particularly Mulvaney who, as I said before, despite the fact that Dylan Mulvaney has no ovaries, that Dylan Mulvaney has no uh, uh, fallopian tubes, nor eggs to uh, drop into them, nor uterus, nor vagina, Dylan Mulvaney is a paid spokesperson, spokesperson for the Tampax company. Tampax. Tampons. And, she, and he goes on television, or not on television, rather his computer, he goes on his, little, uh, his own little personal Truman show and actually says, I'm getting really worried my period is late this month. And Tampax says, don't forget to use these. And the only way this, this biological male, this, this, this femboy, he's, he's a male who's very feminine in action. He's not a woman. He cannot be a woman. It's not physically, scientifically. Or genetically possible. He is a male. But the only way this individual would need a product like that is if he cuts himself while he's shaving down there. Because that is the only way blood would be introduced into his life in that particular manner. But Tampax is sponsoring him. Giving him, I don't even know, untold numbers of dollars to endorse their product. Nike is giving untold numbers of dollars to the same individual who is a biological male who has a male chest, has no female breasts, gave her gave him rather, see this is their game they play, gave him a contract to endorse their sports bras. Sports bras. Now, somewhere there is a female, an actual female with breasts, who might be able to take advantage of the financial gain that Nike is bestowing upon this male by letting that female actually endorse the sports bras. But no, they're going to go without. And women and girls who are athletic, who need sports bras, who might be actually looking for some advice and product endorsements, you know, what's a good product, what isn't a good product, why, how does it make you feel, does this protect you, does this cushion you, does this, you know, uh, you know support you and so forth. They might be looking for answers and they can't get them. Because the guy that's selling them is a guy. Why? Who is privileged? The answer is the LGBTQ movement. They are privileged. They're given things that they have not earned. And moreover, 
They force other people to change the way they live and speak all to and work and go to school all to pacify this bizarre, teeny tiny fraction of the population that suffers from an actual psychological disorder called gender dysphoria and a massive and growing movement, particularly of Gen Zers, the youngsters who are simply attention seekers and playing a a game of charades. They're dressing up like the opposite sex and saying, look at me, I'm popular, I can be an influencer. How about you get me some of these paid contracts? It's a game of copycat, and we are all suffering from it. The only people not suffering are those who are literally privileged. All right, we've got a lot more to talk about. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Don't forget, Kersenow is coming up at uh, uh, 1010. We've got a lot to discuss with him, and, of course, we want to hear from you, too. 216-901-0945. Right back. Nine fifty-eight coming up on the top of the hour, and uh, Peter Kersenow awaits on the other side of that. I also want to remind you, uh, I mentioned it in the open, but if you weren't with us, Mark Paoletta is going to be back. Mark is um, a tremendous writer and, uh, and, and attorney and experienced uh, uh, White House, uh, uh, former White House uh, appointee, actually. And um, Mark is one of the strongest supporters of Clarence Thomas that you will find in America today. In fact, he defines Clarence Thomas as being the greatest living American. Uh, we had him on before he came on to, uh, uh, before he came to bringing America back to life in March. And we talked about his book, Clarence Thomas, in his own words. And uh, like I said, we learned a lot about Clarence Thomas from Mark, and we learned a lot about Mark uh, in that interview. And I asked him to come back on today to talk about this latest assault on the character of, of Clarence Thomas. And he's going to do so. Clarence Thomas is being accused of violating ethical standards. Some are calling for his impeachment from the Supreme Court because he has friends. He has friends that he traveled with. Uh, and, oh, my gosh, God forbid if people have friends that they travel with. This is a very, very strange and, and bizarre and really overemphasized story in the mainstream media. Uh, but they're calling for his impeachment. They're calling for all kinds of other uh, terrible uh, consequences for him, and Mark Paoletta is going to explain a little bit more about that. So that's coming up at 1110. Cursing out next, Paoletta at 1110. Stay here for the next couple anyway on AM 1420, The Answer. I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. See, this time I knew to wait. This time I waited for the second music bump to come in because Josh running the board today always takes good care of our good friend and our regular Tuesday commentator. He is 
the longest serving commissioner in the history. I got to take a deep breath here when I do this because it's a very long business card he has. It's a very big business card with a lot of words on it. He's the longest serving commissioner in the history of the United States Civil Rights Commission. He's a Cleveland attorney. He is a best selling author. He's a columnist. He's a law professor. He is the host of the Kersenau Report. He is our good friend, Peter Kersenau, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, good morning. How are you, my friend? You know, it's a sunny day in Cleveland. Can never complain when that happens. It's above 60 degrees, too. So, you know, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's always good when Cleveland is warm and sunny. Absolutely. I'm with you there, my friend. Thank you, Peter, for being with us, as always. Okay, Mr. Kersenau, we have a lot of ground to cover today, but I want to start with some work that you are doing on that Civil Rights Commission. And we're going to talk about privilege and what it looks like in America, and we're going to talk about affirmative action as well. Uh, so we've got a few different stories here, but I want to talk about the uh, letter that you wrote, <clears throat> excuse me, um, on behalf of, uh, well, just yourself, not on behalf of the commission. You always make sure to point that out whenever you write uh, messages like this. But you were talking about AFFH, uh, which is uh, the affirmative um uh, I'm sorry, uh, give me the AFFHP. Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing, Furthering. which was a rule or regulation that the Obama administration tried to pass. We fought it then. It didn't get passed. The Biden administration is trying to do it again, but I'm sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, I asked because I was going to say affirmative for, but it's not. It's furthering, so thank you. Uh, fair Housing. So, uh Let's talk about what your your objection is here, and let's talk about what this rule is. Uh, and I'll just kind of lay it out for for people uh, in four parts as you have headed them. And I read this last night. Uh, this rule treats poverty as a protected class. It exceeds HUD's authority under the Fair Housing Act. It is unconstitutional, and it is undemocratic. Those are the allegations that you make or the claims that you make, I guess. Uh, I want to take yeah. them one by one and tell people why this matters to them, Peter. Tell them why this is important. Yeah, I'll cut right to the chase and tell them. I mean, there's so many things. This may be the worst and most intrusive regulation ever promulgated by the federal government. And I, I use the word may advisedly, only because I haven't thought it through completely, but I can't think of one. And again, several years ago, I tried to fight this also. We were successful. Uh, this is a regulation being proposed by the administration that would effectively socialize this country. And that's too mild a term. It would make this virtually a communist country. Uh, And that is not an exaggeration, because what it does is it introduces that term, that pernicious term equity, into housing matters. So under HUD, you know, you can't discriminate on the basis of race when uh, you're renting or in terms of housing patterns or anything of that nature. What this does is instead of using equal treatment as the lodestar, it uses that pernicious term, that amorphous, nebulous term, equity, to allow the government to work mischief. But it gets very specific. What it does is, it, I mean, it, it's just so incredibly radical that I'm not sure that your audience would even believe when I tell you. It doesn't, it makes poverty a protected class, not race, so that Various communities, not various, all communities are going to have to come up with a housing plan that's submitted to HUD, that HUD approves, which plan must permit people, uh, regardless if it's single-family housing, multiple-family housing, regardless of whether or not you know, you've got mansions next to slum hovels, they've got to have, by income, 
evenly distributed housing. So you could have a shack next to uh, what's Deshaun Watson's home. Did you ever see a picture of that? Um, <laughs> no, but I've seen enough of the celebrity. I mean, this homes, thing so, looks yeah. like it looks like uh, Disneyland. I mean, it's incredible. This thing is a mansion on steroids. Well, you could have a shack next to that if that area does not have, quote unquote, equitable housing. So what you're going to have is if you, and look, a lot of black people moved out of the inner city because they wanted to escape the slums, the poverty, the crime, everything. And they moved out to, you know, in in the last 40 years, 50 years, moved out to the Shaker Heights and the Cleveland Heights and places like that. They didn't want to live next to somebody who didn't mow their lawn, didn't fix their porch, that was selling drugs on the curb and all that other stuff. Well, guess what? The Biden administration would like to import all of those maladies to the various suburbs and everywhere else. No matter where you are, you're not going to be able to escape this for purposes of equity. If it, it lowers standards like crazy, it, it, because it treats poverty as a protected class. So if someone can't move into, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of generalizing here, but this is the essence of it. If someone can't move into Pepper Pike because of their poverty, Pepper Pike has to come up with a plan that would permit them to do so. Okay. It has to, uh, the equity plan has to eliminate, you know, any racial or ethnically concentrated areas. So if Pepper Pike is mostly Asian or mostly white or whatever, that's that right on its face there. That's unlawful. And Pepper Pike better do something about it by building a affordable, quote-unquote, affordable housing. In other words, it upends the American dream. And it, it is just, it, why work? Why do the things necessary to elevate your family, your children, and all the considerations you have to protect your family if, at the end of the day, some Biden bureaucrat is going to put some clown right next to you that you try to escape from? Hey, let's face it. The United States of America is a mobile society, and we have the right to live in safe, communities, clean communities, orderly communities with good schools, and if the various communities won't provide them, we get the opportunity to move to the places that do provide them and not have those maladies follow us because the federal government says, nope, you know what, you may have left left East Cleveland because East Cleveland can't get its act together, but guess what, we're bringing East Cleveland to you. No disrespect to East Cleveland, but we all know what we're talking about. I live in Cleveland. I live in inner city Cleveland. I have a beautiful house, beautiful, beautiful yard. I've got 10 acres of land. It's an unusual place. But I know I made a choice. I knew where I was living. My neighbors are phenomenal, by the way. But I know that just outside of our little, you know, cul-de-sac there, it is Vietnam. It is bad news. And this is what the Biden administration wants to do to all of America. It needs to be resisted. If you want to preserve America as we currently understand it, this rule needs to be resisted by everybody out there. And for all of the listeners out there who've listened to me for a number of years and have seen me on speeches where I talk about your little index card, now's the time to pull out that index card with the names, addresses, emails, telephone numbers of all of the people who are consequential representatives and tell them no, no, no to this rule. Do whatever you can't tell Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan, come up with legislation or something that abrogates this rule. This is horrendous. The best um, scholar on this is Stanley Kurtz. Stanley and I, years ago, when the Obama administration tried to do this, we did a number of podcasts, a number of conferences on this. He is the genius on this. He knows the stuff inside out. I just come along for the ride. I know enough to be dangerous. We need everybody out there just to know that when it comes to housing, Your choices are no longer your own. 
It's the most fundamental of American dreams being abrogated by this clown administration. So, Peter, you you covered a little bit of the first two uh, fundamental problems you talked about there. Poverty is a protected class. You also talked about a little bit about HUD's authority under the Fair Housing Act when you talked about equity. Give us more. What does the Fair Housing Act say about this? Well, the Fair Housing Act is pretty simple. Fair Housing Act simply says that you can't discriminate in terms of housing on the basis of, essentially, on the basis of race. That, right. That's the real reason it was implemented back in the 1960s. So, with good reason at the time. Exactly, exactly. It foreclosed whole segments of society, and it was wrong, it was evil, but that is, you know, it was, it was a salutary piece of legislation. It had consensus. It was passed by our elected representatives, not by some ideologue bureaucrat in the Biden administration. Because remember, this is a regulation. This is not legislation that was passed after debate and, um, you know, review and a vote. This is a regulation. And unfortunately, you know, they do it kind of, it's an exaggeration to say dead of night, but all they do is they issue a notice of proposed rulemaking. Nobody reads the Federal Register. I do because I have no life. And nobody knows about it. Hardly anybody knows about it, okay? Now, certain discrete interest groups, the folks I'd say the Heritage Foundation or AEI or places like that know about it, but that's a very small, limited, insular group. Not enough people know about it. We need mom and pop out there who are aware. You don't have to say anything um, fancy either. You don't have to use the law. Just simply say, I oppose affirmatively furthering fair housing. It is un-American, and that's the truth. That's the best way of, of attaching. But unfortunately, notice and comment period closed yesterday, I believe it was. So there's no more notice and comment period. You can't uh, you know, go up to the, uh, the website and do that. So get in touch with your representative and tell them that. Whoever your representative is who's got a liaison to Washington, whether it is your representative, again, like a Jim Jordan or someone like that, or whether it's some politician that knows how to work the systems of government, tell them this is horrendous, this is one of the worst things that ever occurred, and this is not an exaggeration, Bob, one of the worst things that has occurred in the last 50 years. If this gets implemented, you will be looking, (laughs) the ramifications are legion, and I'm not going to go into all of them. Just say it is really bad. Well, you, you articulated some of that already, and I'm sure you could go on and on and on and talk about all the different things. But just the fact that, like you said, a shack can go next to a Deshaun, Deshaun Watson house. Now, most of, most of us don't have Deshaun Watson homes, but we have homes we're proud of. And we have that property values that are very important to us. You know, as everybody knows, the largest investment anybody makes in their lifetime is the investment in their home. Uh, and that's, that's reality for 99.9% of people. And if you put a big investment into your home and you make it nice, you live in a nice neighborhood, you want to have it, you know, a place that you're comfortable being around, it's it's safe, it's secure, you're proud of it, and so forth. And then for people to be able to come in next to you and build a, a dump and, and treat it like a dump uh, to decrease your own you know, quality of life and your own property value, there has to be something that regulates that. There has to be something that stops people from coming in and costing me, potentially, you know, me being all of us, tens of thousands of dollars in value of their home, depending on what they have. Precisely right. And that's why we have zoning laws. That's why we have councils and stuff like that that, you know, implement these laws. And you've got input into this, and it protects the value of your home ostensibly, you know, but at the same time, it's got to be inconsistent. It's got to be consistent with the Fair Housing Act. But, you know, this is the, the dream. It's the American dream. We call it that for a reason. Now, the Biden administration wants to turn it into the Soviet dream. They want to make it into something that is essentially communistic. No matter what you do, no matter how much you strive, and almost every one of us has worked hard so as you said, we could provide well for our families, 
uh, have a an area in which they live that has good schools, good services, and is insulated from crime and all kinds of other uh, problems. And yet what happens? The Biden administration says, uh-uh, sorry, we're bringing all those great things, which, by the way, we have increased on steroids directly to your doorstep because of equity. Yeah, that's exactly right. Pete, let, let's talk about the third one of these. You say it's unconstitutional. Tell me why. Sure. Uh, and and I, I'm going to give you just a short version of it. In the letter, in the in the, the comment to the proposed rule, I go into great detail. In. But for your audience, understand that it's unconstitutional because it, it's not based on any of the protected characteristics that are protected by the 14th Amendment, the Constitution. It defines a new class, protected class, and it has to do with poverty, which is not a protected class. We've never, the Supreme Court has never done that. And it's based on, quote unquote, societal, alleged societal discrimination that results in poverty. That's the the rationale, which is a flawed rationale, but that's the rationale undergirding, undergirding this rule. The Supreme Court, on a number of occasions, uh, one of them, United States Steel versus Weber, but there, there's so many, and then that, that case was decided more than 50 years ago. There are a number of Supreme Court cases that says societal discrimination is not a basis for attacking the constitutional constitutionality of a certain practice system, rule, regulation, or anything else like that. In other words, if this rule tries to address race discrimination or sex discrimination or one of the protected classes, it may be okay. That's not what it's doing. That's what HUD does. The statute does that. But this is going beyond that. It is saying societal discrimination, the, the rationale being because society discriminates against the poor, uh, the poor have limited housing opportunities. But the Supreme Court has said that is not unconstitutional. In fact, if you implement a rule like that, that is unconstitutional. And Pete, let's do this before we take our break, even though it is break time. I want to wrap this so that we can move on to some other things here. You talk about this being fundamentally undemocratic. Can you hit that part? Well, yeah, um, and and I'll, I'll keep it very brief, but the overarching reason for it is because this is not something that was done by the legislature. If Jim Jordan and the rest had done a debate on this, they held hearings on this, they brought witnesses, they talked about it on the House floor, then they, they you know massaged it a little bit and did all the things that our elected representatives are constituted to do, mm-hmm. that would be the will of the people. That's the way we're supposed to do things. What happened here is ideologues within the administration. Marshall Fudge is head of HUD. You know, we all know who Marshall Fudge, Fudge is, but it's little minions within HUD. They have these true believers throughout the entire government. I know some of them. You don't want to have any, any of these people in positions of power, believe me. But these guys, and, and they are, they're not dumb, and they are true believers, and they're committed, and they crap. they've been thinking about things for a long time. Like I said, the Obama administration tried to do this, and they tweaked it a little bit, and they come up with these things. That's how it happens. It's some bureaucrat who's done this. It's the a lot, a lot of people talk about the deep state. This is the administrative state, which is gigantic, to which we have ceded so much of our ordinary democratic norms. We have given away power to these unelected bureaucrats, many of whom are nothing but Democratic Party operatives or worse, these folks are socialist or communistic ideologues, not an exaggeration. When you know who these people are, and I know some of them, in fact, a couple of people who used to serve on the Civil Rights Commission are in upper levels of the Biden administration, um, you would be scared because if they implement their vision for America, your vision of America will be forever dashed. 
Yeah, this is pretty important stuff. Not many people know about these things. They don't know about, don't know about what goes on at HUD. They don't know about uh, some of these uh, proposals. And I'm so glad we have you there fighting for us and, of course, coming on here to let us know what's going on. Like you said, it's sad that the comments uh, period is, go, is over. It's gone. But we do need uh, to be aware of this so that we can talk to our representation and find out what can be done from a legislative standpoint, if anything. Um, uh, you know, to try to stop this assault on our property rights. Literally, Bob, if I could just ask, next time rights. Jim Jordan, next, next time Jim Jordan comes on, if I could respectfully ask, ask him about this or tell him about this. I'm sure he's aware of it. Jim is one of the good guys, but no whatever he can do on judiciary, he's got to, and, and all, everybody else needs to go to the ramparts. This, this is yep. one of the worst things imaginable, and I don't think it's gotten, well, it's not gotten any attention because they want to get it in under the radar. They know what happened last time, several years ago. It got stopped in its tracks because people like, you and me came out and said, uh-uh. But this time they're trying to do it surreptitiously. Again, want to get it implemented. The notes and comment period is closed now. Talk to Jim Jordan. Talk to your elected representatives. Tell them this is the time to stop. We are going to lose America if we lose this battle. It's AFFH, Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Mandate, uh, which would be across the nation. And, uh, and yes, it would be an absolute devastation. So I will. I'll bring this up. That's the reason I brought up legislators, and I will talk to Jim Jordan about that. Pete, we'll take our time out now. We're going to come back. We have a lot more to talk about. And, yeah, we're going to talk about privilege as well as affirmative action. They kind of go hand-in-hand in some ways. We'll talk about that on AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1034. We continue now with our good friend Peter Kersenow joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, you have been very involved on the commission and we have talked many times about the cases when it comes to affirmative action at Harvard and at University of North Carolina and in uh, other places as well. This is a, this is kind of a, an add-on to that and maybe a, a, a little bit of a First Amendment thing as well. I sent you the link if you didn't see it. UNC, that's North Carolina doctors, slam hurtful surgeon who denounced affirmative action in medical schools. Um, January 2023, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, a society of the leading heart surgeons in the nation, held a conference where the outgoing president, Dr. John Calhoun, emphasized how terrible of, the, of him merit as the primary indicator of success in the profession of thoracic surgery. Quote, affirmative action is not equal, opportun- uh, equal opportunity. The best metric is whether someone does good. He also wrote that defining people by color, gender, religion only tends to ingrain bias and discrimination, which, of course, is true. Well, in response to this very obvious statement that thoracic surgeons should be evaluated based upon their merit rather than what they look like, he has been called a racist, a white privileged uh, you know, uh, bigot, and so on and so forth. Pete, it's bad enough, as you point out, when we put people in places like Harvard who cannot handle the work, and it hurts them as much as anybody else right. because they could have succeeded in a less challenging environment. But we're not just talking about kids going to school for the purpose of coloring up a campus and not being able to handle it. Now we're talking about life and death. If they're talking yep. about giving positions in surgery as surgeons on, on medical staffs to people based on what they look like, what do you think? 
Yeah, we used to joke about this as recently as five years, six years ago, that, you know, uh, nothing like this would ever happen in medical schools or among airline pilots or engineers, and now they are doing it. We have arrived at this point in insanity in large part because we have... Excuse me, a leadership class in this country that has, number one, either gone insane or and or. It's not an either or. It's and or. They're utterly spineless, as uh, I think it's Scott Johnson from Powerline says, or may, maybe it's Glenn Reynolds from Instapundit. I don't know which one it is, and I, I like both of them. But they call our leadership class in almost every endeavor these days quote-unquote, garbage people. Now, they're not saying that in terms of these people are horrible people or anything like that, but their leadership endeavors, their skills are nothing what they used to be. We don't have any more patents, for example. We got millies instead of patents. We don't have people who look at the eternal verities of life, and I don't want to wax philosophical here, but they don't look at the things that have served mankind well for thousands of years and say, this must be perpetuated. And yeah, let's tweak little things here that were bad things or things that we can improve upon. But no, they want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. This is going to make things much worse for everybody, and it's not going to make things good for the quote-unquote minorities that we're trying to help because what happens natural and this is what's been happening for 50 years by the way natural human instinct is to know that if somebody gets a benefit you're going to be a little bit suspicious about whether or not that person can you know cut the mustard in this particular endeavor is that black physician as good as that white physician everybody right now i guarantee you among and this is nothing no pejoratives of your your audience this is something that is human nature Every single member of your audience, when they see an Asian engineer or physician, almost kind of presumes that they're good at what they do, because they know they're not getting any kind of advantage or benefit to get into school, to get into any uh, uh, graduate school, or to get a job. In fact, they're discriminated virulently against, so they've got to be the best of the best. But then every human being wonders a little bit about those who are the beneficiaries of affirmative action. Are they that good? You get a little bit nervous. You never, you never articulate it because that would make you a racist, and you don't want to get looked down upon or chastised or canceled. But every American with a brain, even if they don't articulate it, even those liberals wonder about that. When you had United Airlines saying it's going to be hiring pilots on the basis of race, I I, I can tell you what I do and have been doing it because I hate turbulence. I fly probably more than 99% of people in the United States, but I hate turbulence. Now, I'll look like James Bond and very cool and calm when I'm in the plane. You won't be able to tell. At least I think I hope you you don't tell. But nonetheless, I don't like it. But what I do is when I get onto the jetway and I look into the pilot's cabin, I want to see somebody there who looks like Leslie Nielsen. (laughs) Looks like, (laughs) you know, I want to see somebody who looks calm and collected and competent. Okay. And a lot of people do the same thing. They walk into a doctor's office, an engineer's office. It, you may think it's racist. You may think it's wrong. You may think it's horrible. But you know what? That's human nature. And it's going to be exacerbated by this kind of endeavor. When you start lowering standards for the most important, the most crucial professions, not necessarily important. Look, every profession is, has got their own level of importance and contribution to society. But certain things, when you make a mistake, people die. Other professions, you make a mistake, well, okay, you lose a little bit of money. In those professions where people die, we are now at the insane point where we're lowering standards and eliminating, no longer just lowering. They've gotten to the point where a lot of schools, a lot of graduate schools, have completely eliminated, like the LSAT, the SAT, objective measures of competence. They're imperfect, but they're the best we have, and they're pretty damn good, frankly. Because when you look at um, 
not just regression analyses, but when you look at the various studies of, you know, what is the, what are the best predictors of success in school and then later after, people who have high SAT scores, for example, generally do better. Okay, there are exceptions all over the place. Yeah, nothing is perfect. Nothing is is the the you know ultimate predictor of success in life. There are all kinds of measures and things that go into it, let alone you know happenstance sometimes, your own personal initiative and drive. But the, among the measures we have, SATs, LSATs, MCATs are pretty dang good. And we will rue the day when we've eliminated all these things, which we are. We're doing it. And one of the reasons why it's being eliminated, Bob, is because of the uh, Students for Fair Admissions against Harvard case, which is going to be decided by the Supreme Court in about two months. It's only two months from now. Again, I encourage people to go to SCOTUS blog and other places and read my brief. I think it's brilliant, of course. But my amicus <laughs> brief in the case. But, but nonetheless, and there are many briefs, by the way, that have been filed by, by different uh, uh, scholars that are very good. Um, but in any event, they're going to, people expect that they're going to severely curb, if not eliminate, affirmative action uh, in education and maybe in some other areas by extension. And so what's happening is these universities, law schools, medical schools are already eliminating these objective measures. Why? because they want to continue to discriminate on the down low. When you can show, as they did in Harvard, that um, you know, an Asian student is up to 10 times less likely to be admitted over a similarly situated white comparative, and that's the, probably one of the lowest ones at Harvard. There are schools where you're 300 times less likely to be admitted if you're Asian or white over your black or Hispanic comparative. So they know that if they've got SATs and other measurable criteria by which plaintiffs, for example, can show that they are being objectively discriminated against. And, and frankly, it's not just slight discrimination. I mean, it's overwhelming, like I just said. So they want to eliminate that so there's no evidence as to whether or not they're going to discriminate, and they're going to be discriminating like crazy. And what's going to happen is we're going to get people who shouldn't be at certain places. Maybe they could compete at, a, at another school. And as we talked about, uh, the mismatch thing is when uh, you know unprepared minority students are put into places where they can't compete and then they flunk out or they matriculate into softer disciplines where they go in, they thought they were going to be engineers, but instead they're, you know, they, they become something else that is, uh, uh, you know, requires less rigor and preparation. This is what's happening across the board in not just academia, but in so many disciplines, and it is hurting America. We can't compete against, against the Chinese if we continue to lower standards. And more importantly, it's a disservice to all Americans, but it's a particular disservice to minority Americans. It tells them, you can't compete. Here we are. We're in our more than 50th year of affirmative action. Half a century, and things are getting worse. The disparities are getting larger. What is the problem here? Well, we all know what the problem is, because when you control for just one factor alone, the presence of a two-parent family, virtually every disparity goes away. But our liberal masters don't want to address that, and they call you a racist for talking about it. This is horrendous what's happening. We should all be angry and I'll tell you what, if you believe in equal treatment, if you believe in a colorblind society, you should be angry for Americans of every race, of every national origin, that they are doing this kind of stuff. Because what they are doing is they are telling people of color, either directly or indirectly, and they're casting a, um, uh, uh, the, the, a, um, a kind of taint over them that you can't compete 
and it's the most it's the most harmful thing you could do to any human being, especially younger human younger uh, people. But uh, Bob, this is what's going on throughout the country. The United States of America is being turned upside down, and lies are being told on steroids. And if you tell the truth, they come after you with pitchforks. This is all of your listeners who are over the age of twenty have seen this trajectory, and don't know how to reject it. Because you get canceled if you say the most mild and most obvious truth imaginable. You're 100% right, of course. Uh, Peter Kirsten, I was our guest on AM 1420, The Answer. You brought up pilots. You could bring up, you know, you know, especially with all the train derailments we've had. You could talk about, uh, you know, train conductors. We could talk about a lot of people in very important positions involving people's safety. The idea that they would be chosen based on how they look rather than what their qualifications are is simply astounding. I would say the same thing about police officers. And the Memphis Five uh, that killed Tyree Nichols are probably a prime example of that. They were hired when the standards were lowered so that they could bring more people onto the force. They were understaffed, but more specifically, they said they needed more minorities on the police force because only minorities can police minorities. So they took people who were unqualified and put them on that force in a position where they obviously abused their authority and uh, and committed what is, you know, we haven't had a trial yet, but we've all saw the video. So, Pete, I want to talk about what privilege looks like because what, what you just described, and we did not talk about the other half of that, by the way, is when people are selected for positions, whether it be for a simple incoming freshman class at Harvard or North Carolina, or for a medical school or, or, or a surgical program or so forth. If they're chosen by what they look like, that means other people lost spots in those particular uh, positions because of what they look like, meaning white people. Uh, white privilege is the term that we hear all the time, but what you just described is very def- uh, definitively black pri- privilege or people of color privilege, if you will. I spent the whole first hour of the show talking about the newest privileged class in this country, and that is the LGBTQ privileged class, more specifically the trans privileged class. I want to get your thoughts on what happened to Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines, the former NCAA champion swimmer who was forced to compete with Leah Thomas, the male, who, and we won't even get into what she has told, the story she has told since uh, uh, she graduated. She wasn't allowed to talk about these things while she was on the team, but sharing a locker room with uh, Leah Thomas, who stripped down, uh, no towel covering his male anatomy. Uh, and the, the, then the disgust that she and others, uh, other female students and swimmers uh, had with uh, that situation. But since that ended, she has made herself a spokesperson for women's sports, and she has gone to speak at numerous colleges and other events about the dangers of allowing males to compete with females and what damage that's going to do to women's opportunities. She's, of course, 100% right. But she went on April 6th to San Francisco State University, where she was invited to speak, and she was not just shouted down like so many conservative-minded or just reasonably reasonable people are at left-wing campuses. She was physically attacked. She was punched twice in the shoulder, once in the face, by a man wearing a dress. Um, The aftermath of that, Pete, is where the privilege comes in. Did San Francisco State University apologize to her? Did they demand and and affirm that uh, um, consequences are coming, that accountability will be held for the individuals who committed these acts? No, they actually supported the students and praised them for their courage in coming to hear such a a vile speaker like Riley Gaines. Obviously, when the Nashville shooting happened, what happened? Kamala Harris went down there to meet with members of the trans community, and the gun rights groups never once talked to or talked about the victims, the families 
of the Christians who were killed in that little Presbyterian school. Um, they said the trans community is under the White House. Green Jean-Pierre Diversi- Diversity Hire said the White, uh, from the White House that trans people are under attack. To me, it looks as though being trans or participating in the charade, playing the game of dress-up, um, it essentially gives you the right to do whatever the hell you want. You are going to be defended um, at every turn by the radical left. I think there is trans privilege in this Amer- in this country right now, not trans uh, threats or trans attacks. There is a trans privilege that exists. Bob, I, <laughs> that was a good monologue. I don't have much to add to that other than this. Let me just say this. I've been practicing labor and employment law for more than four decades. And for all that time, all I can tell you is maybe I'm a screwed up black male, but other labor and employment lawyers, well, the plaintiff side people will tell you, of course, there's, there's all kinds of discrimination going on and everything else like that. Because, you know, and I'm not saying there's no discrimination. There, there is. Uh, but in a nation of 330 million people, it's to be expected there's going to be cases of discrimination, but not the way the left describes. And when you talk about privilege, for most of my adulthood, the privilege has been with minorities. Institutions, um, systems have gone out of their way, bent over backwards to privilege what we used to call minority groups. And now, you know, there there are certain minority groups that are more privileged than others. They are the the, uh, group of the day, the privileged of the week. And we need a lot, by the way, we need a lot more Riley Gaineses out there because we have a lot of people, a lot of adults who cower behind the skirts. And I will admit to you, I will tell you that even though I'm more on the front lines than most people, I get nervous saying things, some of the things I say on on your show, but most often when I'm at the Civil Rights Commission or I I do things such as, uh, you know, litigate these matters, you get nervous that you're going to be um, canceled. There are major law firms, for example, that have gotten rid of some of their, their biggest partners because they have, for example, said something nice about a Clarence Thomas or something else that goes against the zeitgeist. Uh, I wish that there would be more, let's face it, more men who would man up and do what Riley Gaines did, more parents that would do that, do what Riley Gaines did, because black is white, up is down today, right is wrong. It's, it's an insane era that we're in. And Victor Davis Hanson, as usual, had a great opus yesterday where he talked about this. And unfortunately, he has a very negative view of the direction in which we're going and whether or not we can pull out of this, this nosedive that we're in, that, you know, this whole issue of privilege and elevating people solely on the basis of status. We have right now the most stratified in terms of uh, the way we consider people in their station society um, when it comes to race. It's upside down from the traditional and the one that they claim is still existing. That is that there is white privilege or that males or that uh, heterosexuals are dominant. That's, we all know that's not true. We all know you can say anything you want to about the average white male and not suffer any professional ramifications. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But if you dare say something that is just an observation, an accurate observation that may necessarily be uh, considered negative about anybody in a protected class, you may be done for the rest of your life. You may lose your job. You may, uh, you know, lose whatever 
uh, income you may have because you're an entrepreneur. You will be boycotted. You will be uh, shamed. And look at what happened to Riley Gaines. The San Francisco state didn't come to her defense. They didn't provide her with any police protection or anything else like that. When you look at what happened at Stanford, when they shouted down the district um, uh, uh, court judge, I mean, they they had an administrator who was participating in that. Again, when you have the all of academia seems to be corrupted by this, we're in bad, bad shape, as Victor Davis Hanson said. But again, we have inverted the notion of privilege. And for your audience out there, I'm not presuming to tell you what to think or do. And I know so many of your audience members, um, and I know that they're the kind of people who think or do whatever they want to are not going to be cowed by this. But for anybody who thinks, and you got to do your own thing. You know, in, in your job, you don't want to necessarily stand up and say, oh, you know, this is, uh, this is this privilege thing is a bunch of bunk. Because uh, you got to be careful. You want to feed your family and everything else like that. But to the extent you can do so, you have to push back against these lies they're being told because they are harming our country. They are harming our young people, especially who are growing up amidst the lies. Solzhenitsyn said, live not by lies. And it's more imperative now than it has ever been in the history of the United States. And it's almost approaching Soviet status. That's not an exaggeration. Peter, uh, I apologize. I, I want to jump in, though, just before you go, because you mentioned his name. And so spend 60 seconds on Clarence Thomas. This never-ending yeah. attack. Senate Democrats a are great for an investigation human being. I into happen, him. Yes, yes. I mean, they've been going after Clarence. Clarence Thomas is the reason I became a Republican over 30 years ago. That's the reason, because I watched those hearings and I was appalled. Before that, I was just a nominal Democrat. I live in a, in a 100% Democrat place, so I, in order to vote in a primary, I'd have to be a Democrat. But I wasn't thinking about it, and I was not a political person. I watched those hearings, and I was appalled as any American would be by the way he was treated, and I knew what the truth was simply by using my own rational uh, ability to rationalize what's going on. I then got to know Clarence Thomas. He came to one of my dinners uh, that I used to sponsor for the Center of New Black Leadership. I had lunch with him a couple of times. A better human being, and by the way, he may be the funniest human being on the face of the earth. Richard Pryor's got nothing on Clarence Thomas. This man, I mean, I'm being sincere. He had literally, at one of our dinners, we were seated at the head table, he had one of the people at my table rolling on the ground, literally. He tells these stories that are just astonishing. But nonetheless, I think, and I've said this for a while, when you read his opinions, and all the left will go nuts when you hear this, but it's true if you're being objective. Read one of his opinions and tell me who is a better Supreme Court justice who writes better? People like to talk about Frankfurter. Pete, 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 you, you, know, you, you could go on about the merits of, of him for another hour or two, and I get that. But real quick, just your thoughts on what they're trying to go after him for, going on trips with Harlan Crow. Yeah. I don't know enough about it, and I always stay away from commenting definitively about something unless I get deep into it. All I can say is I know Clarence Thomas. And I know the kind of person he is. So when I hear anything negative about him, especially when it comes from the media over the last 30 years, we've got track record. I disbelieve it instinctively. And the burden of proof is on them. I think Clarence Thomas, knowing that he's got a target on his back, that if he spits on the sidewalk, they're going to claim that, you know, he committed, you know, uh, uh, some type of treason. I think that somebody like him First of all, I think that they're coming after him at all times, but I instinctively think whatever they say is false or exaggerated. Well, well, and I know you need to research this then because you haven't 
I guess, heard about this. I mean, he took trips with Harlan Crow. He admitted yeah, to I'm doing so. That. He defended himself and saying these are uh, he and Jenny's uh, oldest, dearest friends. They go on trips together. Uh, he did not think that there was, you know, since there was no pending cases before the court or anything else involving Harlan Crow, that it was something they need to be reported. So he's admitting the trips happened. That part isn't false. He is just saying there is nothing untoward about them. Yet the Senate Democrats uh, and the AOC called for his impeachment immediately, said she'll draft it if anybody else won't. And then they sent the Democrats are now calling for a full investigation of Clarence Thomas. So uh, I, yeah, thought well, I'd, I thought it, I'd throw that whatever, up there. What, I know yeah, whatever, a, whatever yeah. rule of thumb, if Ocasio-Cortez is for or against <laughs> something, take the opposite position. And let me let me just say this. Clarence Thomas for 30 years has had a target on his back. He knows he's got a target on his back. He is scrupulous in making sure, even if it's just an appearance of impropriety, that he stays away from that because they know they're going to come after him. He is by far the most hated black man in America, maybe the most hated man, period, in America, yeah. the most reviled man in America, and yet he is one of the best men in America. Have, have you read Created Equal, uh, Clarence Thomas, in his own words? Yeah, and I've read, and I've read a number of biographies by him. Mark, this uh, is a, he is a Mark phenomenal Payne, individual, both in terms of his integrity as well as his intellect. I know, and somebody who would agree with every word of that is the co-author of that book, Mark Paoletta, and he's going to join me next. So I know you got work to get back to, but if you want to flip the radio on while you're doing it, Mark is going to talk to us about this. He is uh, he calls he calls Clarence Thomas the the, uh, the greatest living American. Period. Greatest. I'm not going to dispute that. I won't yeah. dispute it. So he's coming up next. So Peter, obviously, great to talk to you. Thank you, my friend. If you want to hear what Mark has to say about Clarence Thomas's situation, keep listening. But I will talk to you again next week, my friend. Thank you. Take care, Bob. Ten fifty-eight. We'll be back after the news. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into our number three we go. Thank you so much for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to Peter Kersenow. A tremendous discussion on so many very important issues. I want to remind people to, uh, who did not uh, catch it, because, again, I actually started to say the uh, name of that um, a proposed rule in uh, HUD wrong, um, and so I want to clarify it. It's affirmatively furthering fair housing. Affirmatively furthering fair housing. Contact your Congress member uh, immediately and tell them to do whatever they can. I'm going to talk to Jim Jordan about it. He's, of course, the chair of the judiciary. We're going to talk about this. It's very important uh, to stop this. Because the consequences, the ramifications are very, very, very far-reaching and long-lasting, as Peter just pointed out. So we will do everything we can to stop this. The idea of equity when it comes to uh, housing is simply um, 
It's a disaster in the making. So thanks to Peter Kersenoff for that. Thanks to you for being a part of the show. And now, I, the, the last thing Pete and I talked about was Clarence Thomas, as you heard. He is a huge, huge supporter of Clarence Thomas. In fact, he described Clarence Thomas as being responsible for his own conversion to conservatism. Clarence Thomas has had that kind of impact on a lot of people. He is also, of course, um, well, I shouldn't, shouldn't say, of course, Peter described him as probably the most despised black American in the world. Um, and I think that's probably true. Uh, he is also one of the most phenomenal Supreme Court judges, maybe the greatest one ever to sit on that bench. Joining us now is somebody who knows Clarence Thomas very well, we just lost his call, I am told, but we will get him on in a moment. Uh, yep, we'll get him back. <clears throat> Let me know when he's there. But uh, the gentleman we're about to speak with knows an awful lot about Clarence Thomas because he is the co-author of Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. We talked to Mark uh, last month, right before the start, or yeah, right before the start of the uh, Bringing America Back to Life convention. And uh, he was one of the keynote speakers uh, at that event, and he spoke about Clarence Thomas and the values and the importance uh, that Clarence Thomas, uh, you know, plays the role that he plays rather uh, in this country and has for thirty years. Um, so very few people know Clarence Thomas the way Mark Paoletta does. Again, co-author along with Michael Pack of Created Equal, uh, Clarence Thomas in his own words, he joins us now to talk about the recent controversy, the latest manufactured outrage from the American left uh, directed squarely at Justice Thomas. Uh, Mark Paoletta, good to have you back on the airwaves here, my friend. How are you this morning? Hey, Bob. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks very much. I was uh, Before your phone dropped, I was just des- describing or reminding people of what my last guest, Peter Kersenoff in the Civil Rights Commission, said about Clarence Thomas' last segment. He said he is probably the most reviled, hated black man in America, or maybe black person in America, because he's hated by so many on the left that see him as a race traitor and see him as uh, uh, you know, basically a threat to everything that they want to do to um, yeah. uh, undermine undermine the, the constitutional republic that Clarence Thomas defends with every ruling and every opinion that he offers. Uh, would you agree with that from Peter? Absolutely, Bob. And as we talked about a little bit, uh, a couple, one of that was a couple weeks ago out in, in Cleveland at that wonderful event. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the left, when you say the, uh, Clarence Thomas is a race trader, it's such a lie, right? It's the black leadership, right, that are race traders, actually, right? If you look at what, you know, the black Americans support, right, they are overwhelmingly in, in support of what Justice Thomas talks about. They are against affirmative action in higher education. They are against, uh, in, in terms of abortion, right? Uh, uh, against third-term abortions, um, uh, you know, on uh, school choice, 81% of parents uh, want school cho- Black parents want school choice. And guess what? The NAACP, because all the money they get from big co- corporate interests like the AFL-CIO and such, are against school choice. It's despicable. But Clarence Thomas is the most important person in our country. As I talked about before, he's our greatest American. He's our greatest justice. And what enrages the left Right. Is that they tried to destroy him in 1991. I was a counsel. I was, you know, I worked with Justice Thomas on those confirmation hearings, went through that, saw what they tried to do to him. He gets on the court and then they try and smear him as unqualified. All these racist tropes that the left likes to talk about, uh, you know, they actually exhibit them themselves. Okay, And then what happens? 700 opinions later and the Supreme Court is following his lead. I call it the roadmap. 
of what he did on abortion, what he did. Look, look at the Grutter case, um, the, um, uh, the um, uh, North Carolina and Harvard cases, right? Justice Thomas wrote a dissent in 2003 in Grutter. That's the case that's up in, the, the, you know, in, uh, in June, likely July, when they'll decide it. And everything is coming Justice Thomas's way. What's that mean? That means he's winning. What do I mean by that? Originalism is w- winning, and he's the justice more than any other justice. Okay, make that clear, uh, including his dear friend, Justice Antonin Scalia, who was a great man and a great justice. But the person who has planted the flag in terms of no, uh, you know, no compromise originalism is Clarence Thomas. And so this latest attack is absolutely garbage and people should see it for what it is. Right. Those rules. Right. That were in place all the way up until March 14th of this year. OK, so March 14th, 2023 is when the Mark, let me conference... jump in. Let me jump in oh, for a sure. minute here, because for Sorry. those who don't know, we should probably tell them what this controversy is all about. Uh, and uh, and not everybody knows what he's being accused of here. So if you just tuned in, sure. we're talking to Mark Paoletta. Mark is uh, uh, the author, the co-author of Created Equal, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his own words. And he's got a, a very, very extensive history with Justice Thomas. He, uh, as he pointed out a moment ago, worked in the George H.W. Bush administration, played a key role in getting Justice Thomas confirmed uh, to the court, and uh, has done some incredible work since then, since then. But for those who don't know the specifics of the story here, Justice Thomas is being uh, criticized and castigated for his um, friendship with a billionaire conservative activist named Harlan Crow. Uh, Harlan Crow has taken Clarence and Ginny Thomas on a number of vacations, something that is not disputed by Clarence Thomas at all. He said, these are some of our oldest and dearest friends. Of course we travel with them. Of course we go and, and, uh, and socialize with them. He has no problem with this whatsoever. He has reported everything that he needs to report uh, um, throughout his entire career as far as things that he's been given or things that have been offered to him and so on and so forth. Because, of course, this is important in, uh, you know, avoiding the appearance of impropriety if there is business before the court. Uh, but at any rate, Harlan Crow is a billionaire conservative, and Justice Thomas and his wife are friends with him and his wife, and so therefore his travel has now led, cons- or excuse me, uh, Senate Democrats to call for a full investigation of Justice Thomas, and it has also led to calls for his impeachment from the court. Now, uh, Mark, I want to read something to you before you go uh, and, and finish what you were just about to say. There's an article, just to let you know how, how um, afraid they are, continue to be, of, of Clarence Thomas. An article in the New Republic by a journalist, and I'll use that in air quotes, named Michael Tomaski, who says that Democrats should do all they can to, quote, destroy his reputation that he should be impeached, but they don't have the votes to get impeachment, so that probably will not happen. But, quote, um, let's have a long hearing that lays bare every instance of his and his wife's corrupt activities in a high-profile venue that Americans will watch. If nothing else, we can ensure that Thomas, quote, goes down in history the way he deserves as one of the most unqualified Supreme Court justices ever, end quote, and a corrupt embarrassment. So I wanted to lay all that out there for the listeners who don't know what you're responding to, Mark. And so now, Mark Paoletta, take it from there. Sure. I, I saw that Michael Tomaski piece. You know, he's just a despicable guy, uh, in my view. He's the guy back in 2012, I think, when Ginny Thomas, uh, a, a, a Justice Thomas's wife and a conservative activist who had uh, had the audacity to have her own career and say that Obamacare was a terrible law and that the Congress, should repeal it, okay? Not anything about the Supreme Court. 
And because she spoke on this issue, Clarence Thomas should uh, have recused himself. And because he didn't, he should be impeached. This is Michael Tomaski. Michael Tomaski, I think, said in this article a, a while ago, Clarence Thomas should t- t- tell his wife to sit down and get back in the kitchen. Literally something like that. So this guy is just uh, uh, just just a uh, just a uh, somebody stuck in the past. That's astounding. Uh, you That's know. astounding. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. he's representative. Yeah. He's representative of a lot of people on the left who yeah. agree with that and who feel that way. And so what's what's interesting is that he, you know, look, Clarence Thomas is as I talked the most influential justice. As I as I said, uh, you know, in Cleveland the other day, a, a left wing writer called him the most significant legal appointment in forty years and the, and the most. Um, independent legal thinker in, 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 in a generation. And so, you know, the idea of him calling him unqualified, just again, to me, shows his racism, right? If you don't think the way we want black people to think, you will be destroyed. That's what the left does, okay? So going back to this, um, this, this, uh, this rule, the rule that was in place until March 14th of 2023 basically said personal hospitality, I'll read it here, personal hospitality need not be reported. Personal hospitality means hospitality extended for a non-business purpose by one, uh, not a corporation or organization, at the personal residence of that person or his family or on property or facilities owned by that person or family. Now, for many, many years, that's been interpreted to include travel, staying at uh, somebody's home. Uh, they like to call them resorts. This is Harlan Crow's home up in the Adirondacks. Okay, He lives there the entire summer. Okay, um, He has lots of friends come up there. Um, in March... Bob, they, 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 they changed the rule, they tightened it up, and it now addresses travel and says that it is not considered personal hospitality, and it goes on other specific things. The left-wing New York Times, right, in covering these changes, said Supreme Court justices will be required to disclose more of their activities, including some free trips, air travel, and other types of gifts. Under the new rules, justices must report travel by uh, private jet. Okay, one of the like what I'll call the most cited go to legal ethics um, experts. His name is Stephen Gillers. He's a professor at NYU or a retired professor or something like that. Um, But he's the most quoted person in the story on NBC. Again, no friend of Justice Thomas. After this story broke, he said the situation was sufficiently before these recent amendments. The situation was sufficiently vague to give Thomas a claim uh, that reporting was not required. I think such an interpretation uh, is plausible, okay? So even the left-wing ethics professor is saying that up until, and, and all of this travel occurred before March 14th, all of this was fit under this personal hospitality as interpreted by justices, by Justice Thomas and other justices and judges. In fact, Justice Thomas said in his statement he consulted with Supreme Court colleagues, he, um, with lower court colleagues because he served on the D.C. Circuit, and also the Federal Judicial Center, which helps judges and justices fill out their forms, okay? A CNN article had two um, uh, judges uh, talking about how they have the exact same interpretation of Justice Thomas. So they're making, they've seized on this effort, what? That Clarence Thomas has a rich friend, and he he goes on vacations with him and spends time with him. As everyone has acknowledged, Harlan Crow has no business before the Supreme Court. Harlan Crow's, um, you know, personally, or his business, the Crow Holdings, it's called, Never had, in, in all the years Justice Thomas has been on the court, any business before the Supreme Court. They're friends. You talk about, and I'm friends with Harlan. I know Harlan, Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow is pro-choice, okay? Harlan Crow um, supports the no-label uh, effort, 
So he's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person, a great patriot, but he's not, you know, this, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he doesn't, he, he's not a conservative um, down the line as, as people like to portray him. So it's just the, in my view, Bob, it's the left looking at, and I think it's very revealing that they say they want to destroy his reputation. Why? Because Clarence Thomas is winning in the battle of what American jurisprudence should look like. And when I say winning, it's the originalism that he is laid down and that all these justices now who respect and love Justice Thomas, okay, uh, are applying in their opinion and following Justice Thomas's lead, looking at his opinions that he's laid down. You know, back in 2005, a young Neil Gorsuch, when he was in the Justice Department, in a private email that was re- released when he was uh, going through his confirmation, talked about the kilo descent of Justice Thomas. and What an American hero. What an incredible opinion. So he has an impact on these younger justices when they were coming up the line. And the left is just enraged by this. That's what, that is literally what's going on. And, and I will also say one other thing. When Congress gets up on their high horse to talk about you know, ethics and conflicts of interest and all that sort of stuff, it's a joke. Okay? Congress has exempted themselves from any conflict of interest laws. They're the only branch of government that does not have it. The judges have it. They were required under law to recuse from cases for which they have a conflict of interest. The federal government, executive branch, is a criminal provision, Section uh, 208, 18 U.S.C. 208. says if you have a financial conflict of interest, your family has an interest, whatever, you must or you can go to jail. But Congress, oh, guess what? They exempted themselves. In fact, their ethics manuals say if you have a conflict of interest, you have a financial interest in something, you can vote on things just so long as you can say, it's, it's broader than my own personal interest that affects my, you know, my constituents or it's a, it's a good public policy. They have spouses. The two leading sponsors of this new law that would, would require more conflict of interest disclosure from justices are Senator Murphy from Connecticut and uh, Congressman Hank Johnson from Georgia. Guess what? They both have spouses who are lawyers in, at private firms who have clients that are not disclosed. And then when you layer on top of that, there's no conflict of interest with this disclosures. What is going on there? So I would say if Congress wants to pursue conflict of interest or other ethics type things, they need to apply those exact same laws to themselves. And guess what? I'll, I'll, I'll wait a long time before that ever happens. Okay. Um, so um, it's just a complete attack on Justice Thomas. You know, I've, I've worked on his, his confirmation. I've been friends with him for many years. Um, and they have been doing this to this man for 40 years. And it is really... Well, it started before he even got to the court, obviously. You know, the whole confirmation hearings, everything that you worked on very, very hard and so many others to help him get through that confirmation process when they attacked him the way they did, let you know. You know, it's... it's. Now, I don't want to make a comparison. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it alone and say that he is, um, you know, perhaps the most vilified, unjustly vilified uh, person in federal government, whether at any level, executive, judicial, or or legislative, uh, that I've ever seen. And the fact that he has done the remarkable job he has as a leader, writing more opinions, uh, and uh, and not allowing this to jade his own view of this great country, uh, to and me, remember, Bob, what, what, is, is, what, it yeah, just what, speaks to his character, uh, you know, of the highest order. Last thought, Mark, because we're out of time here. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Remember, they went after his wife for a year, right? Leaked yeah. stuff, smeared her, and guess what? She wasn't named in the final report at all, at all, because she wasn't involved, right, in any in any meaningful way. It's just, it's just, you know, this is the kind of stuff they do. They go and just try and destroy people, right? Whether it's your friends, your wife, you, it's just, this is what the left does.
No question about it. That's exactly what they do. And uh, they're trying now to continue. Uh, not trying now. They're going to continue to try to take down this honorable man. Uh, Mark Paoletta, uh, attorney and uh, obviously author, co-author of Created Equal, Justice Clarence Thomas, in his own words, I knew you'd have uh, the details that we needed to really kind of put all of this into context as they call for impeachment and beyond. I really appreciate you coming on to do that, Mark. And uh, we'll see if this situation plays out any further. And if so, we'll definitely call you right back. All right? Thanks, Bob. Come on anytime. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. Mark Paoletta, uh, attorney, uh, author, uh, former uh, spoke, uh, uh, advisor to Vice President Pence, and he worked in the H.W. Bush White House again when Clarence Thomas was nominated and then ultimately confirmed to the Supreme Court. Okay, it's uh, 1128. We'll take this time out. Bottom of the hour. We'll come back after that on AM 1420, The Answer. up america from its woke slumber always right radio with bob france on the answer it's had a flashback you scared the bejesus out of me this used to be my closing music this used to be the song i played on the way out of the show for about 10 years <laughs> from this station and back to another one and it just hurt i was like what am i done is the show wait a minute i got another segment here <laughs> thanks uh Thanks to Mark Paoletta. Uh, terrific conversation all the way through. <clears throat> he is uh, extremely knowledgeable and obviously very, very supportive and defensive of Justice Clarence Thomas. I want to read just because I, I referenced it for so long there in both the conversation with Pete and with uh, Mark Paoletta. Uh, I want to read uh, Justice's Tho- Justice Thomas's um, actual uh, statement in, in explaining, not explaining, yeah, I guess explaining, it's it's bizarre because I don't even want to use language that you know references um, uh, uh, defending himself because he shouldn't have to defend himself because essentially what was what what was done here was that Justice Thomas just explained these are some of his dearest friends and he went to visit them and he went on vacations with them and yes sometimes they paid for the flights um, that that's the end of it these are lo- like I said longtime uh, friends of Clarence Thomas's and I think I have. Yeah, the full statement right here. So this is a quote from Clarence Thomas. Harlan and Kathy Crow are among our dearest friends, and we have been friends for over 25 years. As friends do, we have joined them on a number of family trips during the more than quarter century we have known them. Early in my tenure in the court, I sought guidance from my colleagues and others in the judiciary and was advised that this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends who did not have business before the court was not reportable. I have endeavored to follow the counsel throughout my, that counsel throughout my tenure and have always sought to comply with the disclosure guidelines. These guidelines are now being changed as the committee on the judiciary conference responsible for the financial disclosure for the entire federal ju- judiciary just this past month announced new guidance. And it is, of course, my intent to follow this guidance in the future. End quote. So, I'm, I mean, literally, it, it, if there's ever been a nothing burger, that we can call such on the radio and in the media, this is it. But the left is going to use it because what? They know they can't get him impeached. But what they can do is attack the credibility of the court. The court that reversed Roe versus Wade. The court that is considered by some to be a 6-3 conservative majority. I'm not one of them. Because some of them, some of those on the six, uh, you know, majority, if you will, I do not believe to be conservative. And I certainly do not believe to be consistent with the Constitution. We've seen examples of that. 
but they call it a 6-3 conservative majority. I would endeavor to call it a 6-3 originalist majority. And if that bothers them, fine. So since they can't break it up and they can't get him impeached, what they can do is attack the credibility and say, oh, this man's corrupt. He took money in the form of trips and vacations to, uh, you know, from a, from a conservative billionaire. So therefore, his opinions, his knowledge of the law, his knowledge of the Constitution cannot be trusted. That's all they can do. That's all they can hope to do. Never mind the fact that he knows the Constitution backwards, forwards, and upside down better than any living American today. Better than anybody, maybe, who has ever uh, uh, served on the court. He knows the law, he knows the Constitution, and he is not for sale. He has friends. How dare he? Adam is calling us from Brunswick on AM 1420, The uh, Answer this morning. Adam, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, how you doing, sir? How's it going? It's going well, Adam. What's on your mind? Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was calling. I'm uh, a parent of a uh, kid in Brunswick City Schools, and um, yesterday I found out uh, some information that was pretty disturbing to me. Uh, the kids have a class during the day i i believe they call it like brunswick pride time like study hall type of thing well what uh, and, what, uh what grade are we talking about here are we talking about high school grade. Or, oh, middle school grade. middle school middle, okay. middle got school it. got it go ahead yeah and in the middle of this middle of this study hall thing a uh, handful of the teachers um put together a basically like a mock wedding for two of the little girls to get married and the one little girl's mom was even there to walk her down the aisle there were teachers throwing little, little flower petals down the aisle. They're videoing it. So it was basically like a mock-up of two girls getting married in the, in, in the eighth grade. And not a single parent was aware of any of this. Um, Other than the ones that are throwing the flowers, it sounds like. Exactly, except the ones that set it up, basically, yeah. yeah. And uh, when, I, when I called and talked to the school board, uh, Glenn, he found out and got a hold of the principal and uh, the superintendent. They didn't know anything about this either. They said this was all done by the teachers and it was a poor judgment. They're going to look into it. But, you know, that makes me feel even more uncomfortable that knowing that the people in charge don't even know what random teachers or, you know, parents are doing around the school in front of all of our kids. Well, that is very disturbing, you know, and as disturbing as it is, you had me at the very beginning when you said this is during Pride Period. There's a daily thing called Pride Period. Is it? Is it? Does that mean LGBTQ Pride, Rainbow Pride, or I think, is there a different I think meaning that, to you that? Know, you know, I think I, I honestly am starting to change my opinion, but I always they always made it out like it's like Brunswick Pride. Right. Pride that's time. the reason I'm asking because yeah. that would be okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's not called Brunswick Pride Time, but they have a thing, you know. And the crazy part about this is, you know, I I actually coach sports in the city as well, so I know a lot of the kids. Right. These little kids get they get written up in this Pride Time for talking to the kid next to them or asking for, you know, a pen or going to the bathroom. They get these little write ups. I'm thinking, how are these kids getting written up for doing regular kid stuff? And then they're having a whole mock up, uh, you know. Two female wedding. Yeah, and, I mean. Well, I think you've answered the question. I think we know exactly water. what it is. This Pride Time is not about Brunswick Pride. Proud of being in Brunswick or being in Brunswick. What's the uh, uh, mascot again? 
Blue Devils. Blue Devils. I almost said Blue Streaks. That would have been stupid. Sorry. Um, you know, a Blue Devil Pride kind of thing. That would be fine, but it's not that because they wouldn't write people up if they were talking during it or if they, uh, you know, uh, you know, stepped out of line in, other, in any other way. It sounds very much to me, and the fact that they had this little mock wedding, uh, it sounds to me like it's very much Pride time. Like, this is a time in which we do LGBTQ Pride stuff, and if you're not paying appropriate attention to it, respecting it, if you're talking over it or whatever, you're in trouble. That's exactly. What you know, I, I I told the guy, I told the school board. I said, you guys, they they claim that it was just all fun and games and just ha ha fun little thing they did at school. Well, I want to know how fun it would have been if my kid would have been in the laugh in the back laughing at it or saying that it's stupid or anything like that. He probably would have, you know, it wouldn't have been all fun and games if somebody disagreed with him, you know, in the moment. So I'm like, Adam, I'm glad you told me about easy this. Thing to say. Yeah, I'm going to ask other people who may be listening who are in the Brunswick School District to find out a little bit more about Pride Period. And, Adam, if you find anything else out about it, I hope you'll get back to me because we're we're trying to publicize and make all these people famous for all the wrong reasons, all of the schools that are doing any of this nonsense and trying to groom and indoctrinate our kids. So if you hear anything else, you yeah. let me know, okay? There's a, there's a school, there's a, there's a uh, meeting next Tuesday for next anybody Tuesday. that wants to go for the school board, yeah, that... That I feel like I've got to I've got to go here, up. my friend. But I appreciate that information, and I hope you will get back to me after that school board meeting as well. And I hope people attend. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.